It's been 10 episodes since we've started recording Biblioval. This week, a very special worst of the worst. We go back to the worst books we've had to read and give them to each other. So for this episode, I read Midnight Sins by Laura Lee and Mick read Choosers of the Slain by John Ringo. Womp womp. Welcome to Bibliovile, the terrible book exchange podcast. My name is Mick Dickinson, the co-host. And I am Susan Dickinson. Welcome to this special 10-episode anniversary Ta-da! podcast. Woo-woo! Yes, we I made believe it this far. the 10th anniversary is the paper anniversary. Yeah, so wow. we got each other books. We got each other books, naturally, <laughs> for the 10th, aniver- 10th, 10th episode anniversary of this podcast. We've been doing more books than just the podcast, but the podcast is now 10 episodes old and we are one tenth of the way there to quitting. Um, no, just kidding. We're, no, we're never going to stop. Never quit. Forever. <laughs> uh, since it is the 10th episode and we, it is a special, we devised a, uh, a fun kind of way to celebrate each cor- tenth of a century, decade, each decade of episodes. Uh, by getting each other the worst book we've read in the past uh, little segment. Since this one uh, includes more than just the uh, podcast, we went back. I think that makes it a total of uh, 13 books to choose from. Mm -hmm. As you heard in the intro, I uh, chose for Sue the book that broke my will to read any more print, Midnight Sins, what I called the impossible book. If you go back and listen, I believe it's uh, the third episode of the podcast that I was supposed to read this book for and didn't. I might be wrong on that. And the book that I chose for Mick was one that he actually had originally chosen for me the very first time we did the Terrible Book Exchange. This was pre-podcast days. This was in the era of only the the blog posts. It was the first book I ever had to read for the Terrible Book Exchange, and it is called Choosers. That's right, Choosers, which is not a word, of the slain by John Mingo? Ringo? Ringo. 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 John Ringo. Yeah. He's <sighs> the worst of the Beatles. Um, if you would like to see our original thoughts, you can either go back and listen to my episode on Midnight Sins. I believe it's called uh, End of the Written Word. And if you need to see and read uh, Susan's thoughts on Choosers of the Slain, you can go back to opinionsandother.blogspot.com. Check out this episode's blog, uh, blog as well. But if you scroll back in time to almost a year ago I think now, it's been about a it's year. It's getting about there. Uh, you will see her thoughts on Choosers of the Slain. One of my favorite parts about this is that most of the time the rules are that we go into the public library, we find the worst book that we can find, uh, we check it out, and the other person has to read it. This time, you know, we've got no one to blame but ourselves. We're the ones who put these into circulation for the other person. We get to inflict pain uh, back onto ourselves. The funniest thing is is that usually we can never talk about these books before uh, recording this podcast to keep that element of surprise for us and for the listener. Uh, you would think that would be broken because we've already, quote-unquote, read these books before, but neither of us got uh, any sort of far into these books. I think that's why we chose them uh, for this episode is that they're so bad we could not even get, I don't think either of us got a quarter of the way through. No, I think I, yeah, I might have gotten a hundred pages in to Choosers and then I was done. And so I would just like flip through and like every 20 or 25 pages I'd read a page or two or like read a couple paragraphs. And then I think I read like the last five pages and then like a semi pretended that I had read the whole book. Yeah, that was before we were comfortable admitting when we didn't finish the book because it was the very first one. I was pretty sh- sure uh, Sue was going to break up with me for having done that to her. But uh, I got about 125 pages in, and Sue had herself a little celebration when she got to page 126 and then kept reading. We actually managed to both finish these books. We did. I am more surprised that Susan finished Midnight Sins because I, it, like, bad does not begin to describe Midnight Sins. It's impossible to read it is it makes no sense logically in the plot as a book as a novel i described it as i don't think anybody besides the person who wrote the goodreads review before me had ever read it including the author or the editor i think like my strategy with this one 
So I either just had to shut my brain off entirely and just, like, let my eyes consume the word garbage. Or my other alternative, which I used frequently, was just to, like, get kind of drunk and then read it. Because, yeah. I mean, I started this book pretty drunk and then for many of the other times that I read it, I was like, I'm going to have a glass of wine or two, and then we'll see how far we can get into this book. It's a good life lesson. I mean, is it? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, going all the way back, this one's pretty old. Can you remember your thoughts when you you found, for me, Midnight Sins? So, this, this was back in the Ames Public Library, and at that point, I think I had figured out we were I mean we had done this a a few times before by the time I had found Midnight Sins and I had figured out that um if if you get a title that's like just one word or two words and there's like maybe a couple dozen terms that make up the titles of all of the terrible fantasy books and the word midnight and the word sins are like at the top of that list and so I was just sort of scanning for for titles that had you know a, a set of terrible words in combination with Like a Steven other. Seagal movie. Sure. Steven Seagal. I don't know who that is. Oh, he's a, he's a really terrible actor. How oh. do you not... Ugh. Does he have hair like a seagull? No, he has a, like a really gross man ponytail that he's balding on oh. top. That sounds unpleasant. Just like Midnight Sins is also unpleasant. So I pu- I saw the, the spine and I saw that it was called Midnight Sins, so I pulled it out. <laughs> and... The cover is magnificent. It's like a super, super, super close-up of these two people. The woman, I still think, looks like Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift, if she, like, was Let herself go a little. Well, no, she's pretending to run away from home. Yeah. And then this guy with, like, a five o'clock shadow. And then the tagline says, one man, no regrets. And he's got the barcode. We are, we are, like, on track for this. And then I read the back. And the back doesn't make any sense. No, I put, I read it on the other episode and, and put it on the blog. That's how you know it's good. It makes no sense. No sense. None sense at all. And I was like, well, here we go. And then I remember giving it to you and you read the back of it and you were like, Sue, how did you find this? I remember if someone had videotaped me and I got to watch it back, I would imagine that I would describe it as like, it was almost as if storm clouds gathering on the horizon, the way my brow furled. Like, you could see it coming from miles away, but it still just darkened everything in front of me. Yeah. That's a really pretty metaphor. That's a really pretty metaphor Thank for you. a really unfortunate book. Um, I'm going to ask you, before I get into my review, what do you remember about, like, the plot line of this book? Um, like, what were your main takeaways from the 125 pages that you read? It's more like 127 sense. hours than it was 127 pages, mm-hmm. and I really did not my own arm off. Uh, I remember that the opening scene was about a, like, public, uh, what am I thinking? Like, conventions? Not a convention center. Community center? Yeah, community center get-together. And it's just very confusing why we're reading about this and there's a woman there, and she amicably breaks up with a man who was his, her late husband's friend, and now they were doing it um, because the late husband during the war was made him promise to do her, which was very confusing, and her little sister was there. And then we time skip two weeks, and she gets murdered. And then we time skip three weeks. And then we time skip two years, 16 months. It's just time skips, and it's super confusing because nothing is happening in the scenes that we read. And then we have to time skip and read the stuff that was in the time skip. That's what I remember. Yep. I also remember the two and a half chapter long sex scene. There are several of those. Oh, great. Um, but to get back to the time skips, I remember like putting my wine glass down after reading like maybe the first three chapters and looking at Mick and being like, if we keep time skipping at this rate... Our main characters are going to die before we get to the <laughs> end of this book. It's going to be like watching the the beginning of Up. Right? Except with way more gross butt stuff. Yeah. Um. So my, my original plan in reading this, because I remember you had mentioned that there were just like plot inconsistencies and timeline inconsistencies like crazy. Like you couldn't even keep track yeah. of everything because the author couldn't keep track of it. And so my, my original plan was... To try to, like, keep track of 
all of the plot points and the timelines. I told and, you specifically. And like actually not to. try to to tally all of the inconsistencies. And then I got to the end of chapter one and was like, well, that's not gonna happen. <laughs> um, and at first, I mentioned that I had I have consumed several glasses of wine while drinking this or while reading this book. While well, drinking, don't drink this book. While drinking, call poison control. Book. Susan drank some midnight sins. Um, Induce vomiting immediately. Oh, don't worry, that's already started happening. Pretty much. So at first I was like, oh, maybe that was just because I had been drinking when I read the first chapter. Like maybe nope. if I read it sober, it'll be better. I actually think it was easier to keep track of things if I had a glass of wine in my hand. You're definitely more forgiving. Yeah, yeah. Because I made it through probably five chapters before I was like done. And I think you were done with this book within two pages. Yeah, several paragraphs. Yeah, pretty much. Um, but... I mean, you were not kidding about the timeline inconsistencies. It is ridiculous. We jump, I think, a total of 18 years. Yeah. Could that be right? Close like to that. it. Yeah. Close to it. At least 13 years um, in the first three chapters. Yeah, something like so that. So we start off, like, Cammy, who's our main character, is like 13. She's living with her sister, and her sister's husband died, and so she's sleeping with this guy named Rafer, which, what kind of a name is Rafer, but that's fine. Um, and Cammie's in love with Rafer in her own, like, little weird 13-year-old way. And then Jamie is murdered, and then we the time skip all- Yeah, the sister, Cammie's sister is murdered. Um, we- Rafer is framed for it. He's just, like, suspected like, of it. Suspected of it. Like, some people in town think that he did it, but he clearly didn't. And then... All of a sudden, Cammie's 18, and nothing happens, and then she's 21, and she and Rafer... The way it's presented in the chapter, she and Rafer have sex for the first time when she's 21, and she gets pregnant, and then has a miscarriage, and she doesn't tell him about any of it. And then we time skip a whole bunch more, and then when the book actually, like, really starts, (laughs) she's 26. And... When you first read through it, that's the only other time, like, that's the only time they've had sex, is when she was 21, she got pregnant, she had a miscarriage, he didn't know about it. But then, throughout the book, they reference that, like, they've had sex several times, they've had sex once, they've had sex twice or three times. Um, it's been... It's been... Um, but, like, it's been it's six rough. years since the first time they've seen each other. It's been seven. It's been two. It's been a year and a half. Like, she just can't keep track of her own timeline at all. And it's just so, so, so puzzling. What did you think? I'm sorry I'm interrupting. But no, what did you funny. think of the way that the town treated the Callahan cousins? Not even getting into the whole family tree <sighs> aspect of the confusingness. Okay. So, was it, like, comedically over the top? It was. It was just bizarre. So, the, the, one of the plot lines, I guess, the backstory, is that Rafer and his two cousins, Logan, and most of the time he's called Crow, but sometimes he's called Crown. So, I'm not sure what his actual (laughs) name is. (laughs) No! Yeah. Sometimes it's Logan and Rafer and Crow, and sometimes it's Logan and Crown and Rafer. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I win. I told you. And uh, and so Logan and Crow slash Crown and Rafer are cousins, and they're apparently like the three most hated citizens in the town, which is called Sweet Rock. And in also in the county, which is Corbin County, and like people try to frame them for murder, and they like ostracize them, and like teachers in the high school were failing them, and these kids didn't really like do anything. They just came like apparently everyone hated their dads, and so then they all hated these kids, and and it's like they like, like old people men flip on the bird. Yeah, yeah, old men are giving them the finger. It was weird, like. <laughs> Hey, yeah. <laughs> like I feel like like I grew up in a small town, and if like if there was anything, like if someone had been like this source of gossip or 
like something weird had happened and people were uncomfortable, like you make polite small talk and then you try to extract yourself from the situation as soon as possible so you don't have to interact with this person that you don't like. But you don't flip them a bird while sitting at a four-way stop sign or like spit on them. Hey, boy. It was weird. Take this. But the backstory is batshit. So, and she tries to explain it, like, multiple times throughout the book, which is bad writing, but it's also kind of useful because I couldn't figure it out. And, like, I felt like I understand it a little bit more every time she brings it up, but I also never really understood it. Like, apparently there are these three barons who own a bunch of land, and they're really wealthy. Two of their names are John. And they had daughters, and their daughters, who were cousins married these three brothers who were the Callahan brothers and everyone thought the Callahan brothers were bad news and the barons hated the brothers and then they all had kids at exactly the same time and then they were all in a car and they mysteriously died and everyone started hating the kids who had to have been like babies at the time or like little kids. And then they were taken in by their uncle Clyde, and then he was mysteriously killed in the same exact stretch of road that the parents were killed on. But the grandparents were also murdered, right? Okay, that's what I thought in the beginning, but then, like, the grandparents are characters in the book, too. No, no. (laughs) They definitely say that the grandparents died. Okay, but they're characters in the book. Ugh! So they can't be dead because one of them, like, comes and visits Cammie. So unless he's a ghost, maybe he's a ghost. Oh, my God. I don't know. So, like, the backstory is bonkers. And then they were, like, so at the beginning of the book, which is, like, 13 years before the main part of the book, when Cammie's 13 and her sister dies, like, there's this string of, of murders in the town. And it's, like, young women, and then Jamie is killed, Cammie's sister, and she had been receiving these, like, threatening phone calls before she was killed, threatening that she should stop spending time with Rafer Callahan, who she was sleeping with. And so, like, Cammie knew that, but Rafer didn't, I don't know. And then, like, the love story is weird. Like, Cammie met this dude when she was, like, 10, and then her sister was banging him, and she's been in love with him for all these years. And then, like, it's this whole thing where after losing the baby, she was so devastated and she just feels like she could never survive losing Rafer, so she won't date him or spend any time with him, so she gives him the cold shoulder. And he's creepy and possessive and wants to mark her and make her his own, and it's gross and weird. I'm sorry, what is the actual plot? Because I read a hundred, I read about a third of the book, and I didn't get there. So, I think... I think the main plot line that, like, you're supposed to be focusing on is if Cammie and Rafer are gonna, like, get together. Well, and they bang throughout the whole book. Yeah. But it's like, are they actually gonna date? And is oh, she gonna Jesus. tell him the truth about the baby? Which she does. So, and they do. So, I'm sorry. And then, like, Cammie is now getting these threatening phone calls that her sister was getting, warning her to stay away from Rafer Callahan. And... She, like, doesn't know if she should tell him about that either. And then she gets a visit from his grandpa, who you thought was is dead. dead. No, is dead. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just need to pick this point out. The whole thing about the sister murder is ancillary to the romance plot. The whole yep. thing about the being hated in this town is ancillary to the romance plot. The whole thing about the parents dying and mysteriously being murdered is ancillary to the romance plot. Yeah, it's all about the romance plot. That is ridiculous. And, like, if you're gonna write I'm erotic fiction, write erotic fiction, yeah, like, there's a market for that. Simmer down. But you don't need all of these, like, subplots and all of this complicated, convoluted backstory. Like, you can write a really simple story about a teacher falling for a bad boy and and make it all about boning. She's a teacher. Oh. That's... So I think, it, like, I think the... thought the, you were projecting No, here. I think it's supposed to be, like, the good girl falls for the bad boy, like, erotic fiction, and she just went way <laughs> too far with it. It's like a DM's... Including in the actual sex scenes. Blah. Which are so gross. And like Mick mentioned, each one is, like, three chapters long. 
Ugh. So there's no room for any plot because they're just boning constantly. I think they do it four times in the book, but that's like two to three chapters per time that they bone. So that's over half of the book is just sex scenes. Ugh. Yeah, and they're disgusting. Um, I don't know how much of this I want to, like, read out loud on the show, but, like, the phrase delicate tissue is gross. Hunger. The way that he dirty talks to her is also disgusting. Um, in one chapter, the word hunger was used, I think that's 21 times, and then I stopped, um, tallying. But, yeah, 21 times, they just, everything is, like, her hunger, her hunger. He and it, like her. everything is just gross. Yeah. It's just gross. Um, I remember that. Oh, the one one thing that did make me giggle a lot though, like in the middle of this really gross and graphic sex scene, he refers to her clitoris as a nubbin. <laughs> <laughs> like why? <laughs> what is that guy? Um, the phrase "screwing like minx" is used. Like, probably seven or eight times? And you don't really think of minx when you hear screwing. No. You think of coats. Right? I, like, it's just it's just gross. And then in the end, for some reason, they bring back the, like, community dance theme. Ugh. And these grown-ass people, she's in her mid-twenties. I think if I did the math right, or if well, the math follows yeah, any sort no. of logic, she's 25 or 26. He's got to be in his mid-30s. Yeah. And they're at a spring fling dance, and they're, like, dancing together and making out. I'm like, you're not 14. That's weird. And then he gets, like, super creepy and possessive and awful, and I hate it. Um, So there is, like, towards the end of the book, the, like, the murder plot does pick back up a mm-hmm. little. So she's been getting these threatening phone calls. Someone actually comes into her house and, like, attacks her. Which is, like, scary and terrible, and she's in the hospital, um, and then she comes home from the hospital, and she gets attacked again. And so we're like, okay, this is, you know, this, there's supposed to be this whole big sense of mystery, like, Jamie, in the beginning, felt like she had identified who the guy was that was calling her. She's like, I recognize that voice. The actual plot. She finally figured it out, and then before she could tell anyone, she was killed. And then Cammie, throughout the whole book, whenever she gets these threatening phone calls, she's like, I, like I've heard that voice before. I know who it is. And so if the you're dead writing a mystery book, right, this should be like a character who has come up fairly frequently, but that you're going to be surprised about who it is. No. We have to be no. introduced oh, to the killer. Oh, because- <laughs> Not a person that has oh been referenced in the book at all. Podcast over. And here, no, it, it's, no, it's not. The, no, 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 we're no, no, finished. No. The end. Look <laughs> us up on Twitter. My name is at Dickie Ma on Twitter. You can find Susan at Susan J. That's S with three U's and a J. Uh, I'm gonna go and sit under the covers for four hours and never come back out. Do you want, no, do you want to know? no way. Do you want to know what his name is? Creep. <laughs> His name is Lowry Berry. Lowry Berry? Are you sure that it's not Barry Lowry? The way that names work? <laughs> I can't stop laughing. I I actually flipped back through the book and was like, I maybe I was drunker than I thought, and I just missed this. Like this has to have been a character. Nope. And then we go into his backstory about how, like, oh, he's grown up with these people and he's been their friend. And Cammy knew that he hadn't really been the same since Jamie died, but she never put two and two together. Like, it's a person that we've never heard of before who's the big mystery reveal of who the killer is. Uh, Lowry Berry. Berry, like the fruit. No, Barry like the name. Larry Barry. That sounds like the worst SNL skit I've ever heard in my <laughs> life. Holly, I'm Larry Barry. <laughs> I could be kind of salty sometimes. It was really Seasoned bad. haters give me them salty looks. Lowry's. It was really bad. And so we get to... I'm sorry, do you think Laura Lee just, like, got to chapter 75 and was like, ah, shit. 
I was supposed to write a book. I was supposed to. <laughs> oh, God. Damn it. I was supposed to be writing a book this whole time. <laughs> oh, shit. Established guidelines of fiction. So. Uh, 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 Larry Berry. Oh, no. Damn it. I can't go delete it now. That'd be editing. So we, not only do we get Lowry Berry in the 11th hour, but we also get this like weird extra plot line that gets introduced in chapter 21 out of 25. There's this whole like... The the tale of Lowry Berry. So a friend of Cammie's has also been getting these threatening phone calls and his house gets blown up, but he was (laughs) in And then everyone's, like, watching his house burn down. And Cammie runs into her old college roommate, Amelia. And she's like, Amelia was never the same ever since her dad came to visit and found my diary and read secrets about me and Amelia in it. Like, why did your roommate's dad read your diary? And, like, apparently the secrets were, like, he had found out that Cammie was pregnant with Rafer's baby, which I thought happened after college, but that's fine. And then also (laughs) found out that... Um, his daughter, Amelia, who's also Amelia. sometimes referred to as Anna. No. You stop. Right now. <laughs> no, they get it. This Some- is too much. Sometimes it's Amelia Callahan and sometimes it's Anna Corbin. But I I don't think they're are- two separate people. No, but why are they related to the boys again? Apparently it's a cousin, but on a different side. Oh, God. This is like the world's worst DM at their very first adventure in Dungeons and Dragons. I'm gonna give every single character we run into a five page backstory. Oh shit, I forgot to actually make the adventure. And so he also found out when he read his daughter's roommate's diary that his daughter was dating Crow slash Crown, which makes sense like Anna slash Amelia is dating Crow slash Crown. The cousins. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. And is that, that portrayed as a bad thing? And that she, no, and Ugh. that she had snuck him into the courthouse to tamper with evidence in their litigation because the grandparents who are supposed to be dead are trying to keep the cousins from getting the property that should have been left to them by their parents. And I don't really understand it, but I just know that that's how it goes. And so he made her drop out of school and not have anything to do with Cammy. And marry someone and, like, pretend to be, like, a little good girl. And so, like, we're in, we're introduced into this whole thing and we're made to believe that it's part of the murder plot. And then it's just not. Like, it is not at all related to Lowry Berry and Ugh. who killed Cammie's sister. And so it's like, what does Lowry Berry have to do with anything? What does Amelia slash Anna have to do with anything? Like, none of it connects. It's just insane. Also, Cammie's mom, I just feel like you need to know this, is alternately referred to as Mary Flanagan, which makes sense because that's Cammie's last name, and Mary Flannery. And I think sometimes Laura Lee just forgot what her main character's last name was. Books. Who needs them? This is... Oh, no, Matt. I've... I made the right decision by stopping reading. I would have burnt. I would have thrown a library book into a fire. And I would have been hunted down by the library police. <laughs> no, the library would have been like, oh, thank God, we don't have to have that book in here anymore. I think that world peace would come if every single... Like, we should sacrifice midnight sins in some sort of cleansing ritual. Because it represents our failure as a culture and as a species. You will never hear me ever in my life advocate for banning a book. (laughs) But I think that this book should be banned. And not for, like, not because there are gross sex scenes and everything is terrible, but, like, just because this book can make someone's brain explode. I feel like we should contact the Better Business Bureau about this author. I, one, one, it's inflicting like internal damage. Like I think some of the insides actually exploded. Yeah, when my I talked appendix, about Larry Barry. My appendix turned into a ghost and left. <laughs> it put on a little appendix fedora and grabbed an appendix. <laughs> I'm out, guys. An appendix suitcase and said, "Well, see you later." 
Um, does Larry Barry? Oh, I have to say that name. Does Barry Lowry die? Does he get murdered? Does no, he, get killed? he um. Arrested? There's like a weird confrontation. Oh, really? It's weird. In and... Cammy's bedroom? Question mark. By the way, all of my notes end in question marks. Um. So there's a weird confrontation in Cammy's bedroom, and then Rafer comes in, and Lowry Barry has a gun, and. He shoots Rafer, and then Cammy's freaking out because Rafer gets shot, except then we never go back to addressing that Rafer was shot, and they talk about how, like, so then Lowry Berry kills himself, and then they talk about, Oh, like, naturally. Oh, thank God there were no injuries other than him. And I'm like, I thought Rafer got shot, but apparently the author forgot. This is a challenge to the author. They said, Laura Lee. Make the absolute worst book you can make. She Does it make you sad that she earned, like, probably a fair amount of money for this? Yes. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> Do you remember the critics' uh, rave reviews for Midnight Sin's sequel? Because it's a part of a I trilogy. Do. I do remember. One of them for the next book is, this book is, like, even better than the first. There's characters, and the plot stays on track. Like, they were, hey, good job, Lorelei. You met the bare minimum requirement oh, for fiction. having a book. <laughs> Which, like, clearly she didn't, because she forgot she was writing one until chapter 21. Oh, shit. <laughs> um, but none of the other plot lines, so, like, we know Rafer and Kami get together. Nothing else is resolved. We know that Lowry Berry was the killer, but we also know that someone put him up to it, and we don't know who that someone was. None of the shit with the are they dead or aren't they grandparents get resolved. Um, we don't know anything more about Amelia Bedelia and her alter ego, Anna. Anna Banana. Amelia Bedelia and Anna Banana. And like, I just, it's all astoundingly bad. It's That's incredibly bad. Yeah. How did you even do that? Well... I felt like the ending had to be something so spectacularly awful that it would be worth it. Like the grand finale. To be able to tell you how it ended. The grand finale of, like, fireworks, but they're made out of crap instead of gunpowder. Yeah, so then you're just covered in poop. (laughs) So, here I sit, drinking my Pinot Grigio. Oh, I thought that was going to be a poem. Covered in poop. Here I sit. That's Midnight Sins. How was Choosers of the Slave? It was good. No, it wasn't. <laughs> it can't possibly live up to Midnight Sins. I feel like you kind of uh, have realized from reading Midnight Sins what you've thrust onto me over the past couple weeks. Okay, but at the same time, we checked out these books at the same time that we checked out the books from the last episode, which meant that Mick had to check out Choosers <laughs> of the Slain. And also that Ann Coulter no. book that almost killed him. So he's on a list somewhere. Get this. 100%. I sent this screenshot to Matt. Hi, Matt. That I got the, like, your books are coming due soon. Here are the books you have checked out. Choosers of the Slain, John Ringo. Don't Trust a Liberal Over Three, Especially a Republican, Ann Coulter. Midnight Sins, Laura Lee. You made me check out all, all three, three of them. them. I did not realize that, but I did. If any Ugh. of like the the parents of your students saw that, they'd be like, "I don't want this man teaching my children." Yeah, no kidding. Um, but yeah, Choosers of the Slain is comparatively like a classic to that. No, it is awful. No, and it gross. Don't, it's disgusting, but like it makes literal sense. <laughs> Except for when he, like, inexplicably winds up in Vegas with his beard. No, because, like, even that, I will say that as stupid as the plot line is, and as stupid as the plot lines are, they're terrible and awful Mm -hmm. and really dumb, and I'm not even going to go into the not funny things, because there's a lot of things that are not funny, but I was, was, like, not funny last time, so I'm going to try and just pay attention to the funny parts. Oh, that's good. Because we skipped a lot of not funny stuff in both of this book. Yeah. Yeah, um... If you're thinking about, like, oh, I have to try some of that, like, when you, when somebody opens, like, 30-year-old cranberry juice and dares you to drink it and you have a thought about it, I should say trigger warning for both of these books about, like, and you're saying, Mick, trigger warning what? Yes. It just has a lot of them. I don't understand. So, like, if somebody was 
felt challenged enough to try and read oh, these books. Oh, yeah, no, don't, 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 don't. Yeah, mm-hmm. just no. prepared. So we're skipping a lot of the, like, not funny stuff. Yeah. But as dumb as the plot lines are, they actually intertwine and fit together, like, pretty well. I will say that the, the brewery where the, the Caldera... Okay, so, basic. This is Choosers of the Slate, starting now. Blank. Um, by John Ringo. This is the very first book I saw it on a shelf, and for some reason they had it, like, cover out instead of just spine out. And so it catches your attention, because on the, the front of it is, like, this dude in Rainbow Six gear with a scope on his gun, and he's wearing night vision goggles. And then the, the Capitol building... And two, like, I can only describe them as trucks, like a truck mud flap silhouettes of sexy ladies in 12-inch heels that are naked and, like, pouting their boobies out. And, like, uh, Choosers of the Slain with that cover, yes. And then you read the inside and you're like, yes. And I did that while we were shopping, I think, not shopping, but, like, looking around for good books to check out. I think I checked out For Whom the Bell Tolls the time we found this. And I said, Susan... I know that we're not married yet because this is October of or uh, November of 2015. And she says, yes, why the hell are you saying this? I said, because I need to set the scene. And she said, for what? And I said, you'll see. And now it's coming true. And I said, Susan, what if we did this thing where we checked out the worst books and had to give them to each other? And she goes, I don't know if that's such a good... And I said, I found this one. This is yours. Take it. <laughs> and then we had to do it. So Chooses of the Slain was the thing that set up bibliophile this it was is the, very the reason for your entertainment every two weeks my friends john ringo put that in big quotes entertainment um so the plot is that a man named mike blank because he changes his last name like every five years was a navy seal accidentally became a hero through things uh in fact i'm going to read you page number one where it tries to give you some backstory this is this is book three in the trilogy obviously um his name's mike And this is the beginning, uh, this is the fourth paragraph. Mike had lost one of the hostages before he realized what the plan was, but he'd fought his way through to the rest and held the position until relieved. Along the way, wiping out a chemical weapons factory, the Syrian president, and Osama bin Laden. (laughs) So, that's the kind of book we're dealing with. He's a busy guy. And that's one trip. That's one book, by the way. He kills all three of those people. Um, so the plot is that he lives in Georgia and has been gifted slash bought an entire valley. And the people who live and work in that valley, he also bought them. They're kind of like indentured servants, and they look up to him as some sort of, like, warrior king. The the Kildar. I love that. Yeah. Um, Kildar. The Kildar. Uh, and so he rules over them and is training them as a militia to stop uh, various other militant groups. Uh, and so he gets contacted uh, by a member of the Senate to go expose some sex trade operation in Armenia or something, and so he goes through it all. But uh, along the way, he also brews a beer as part of the Keldara. He has a harem of 12 to 17-year-old girls. Uh, there are several sex scenes in this book, all of them extraordinarily unfun to read mm-hmm. and extraordinarily uh, uh, imbalanced in power. And none of the women in them are above 18. Yeah, it's really gross. Yeah, it's really gross. Uh, I will, like, I'm skipping part of it uh, because at one point he, the woman he's trying to find for the uh, uh, senator that he's, like, working for, and would you get this, there's more to the story than he's originally told. Amazing. Uh, he sees a picture of her, he's like, here's your target. And this phrase actually appears. She was about 14 and filled the suit well. Gross. 14 years old, filled the suit well. Uh, when somebody else sees the picture, they say something along the lines of, oh, they, he, they say, he says, here's the picture. Here's our kidnapping victim. Who's currently trapped in the sex trafficking ring. And he gives it to a guy. And the guy's first response is nice tits. And like, if I could sum this book up, it'd be like, what if Tom Clancy wrote books about toxic masculinity? Um, this book is, and everything in it is so phallic. It's over like, uh, it's really full up at the beginning, and then you kind of go up through the book, and it gets a little thin in the middle, and there's like various veins of plot crisscrossing it until it all comes to a head at the very end and kind of just like kind of blows its load with like this big action series. 
And I came up with that metaphor as I was going, so I'm pretty proud of Did that. Did you? I was literally just about to be like, good metaphor. How long no. did you spend coming what up with that What I had in metaphor? my notes is that phallic. Might as well spray me at the end, was what I came up with. But uh, I was, I was pretty satisfied pretty good on your feet, Dickinson. Thank you. It's all right. I'm actually sitting down. Uh, but it's just like, it's this dude, and he's rough and tough and badass, and he carries a gun around and sleeps with chicks. And it's, it's so just like this cigar is not actually representing a cigar, Freud. And he's got the biggest guns and an RPG and a huge donger, and he do, does chicks well. And... Yeah, I, I, the thing that stuck out in my mind about this book was the four-hour and 27-minute long sex scene. Oh, yeah, where she goes blind. Yep. Because too much of her blood is going to her vagina? That's not really It's loss of blood flow to the optic nerve. Yeah, because of... Vagina and orgasms. But anyway. Anyway, some other uh, some other choice quotes from this book. Uh, I think they're really like uh, revealing without meaning to be. At one point, he's talking to one of his farmers about the barley crop that fills his beer. And he says, great, Mike said, grinning. How's the crop? Even Father Mahona admits that the grains are coming in well, he replied, smiling broadly. And the peers are, peas are nearly ready to harvest. We'll do that with the combine, so I won't need the young men. Before, it would have taken everyone stripping the plants, but the combine has an attachment that does it for us. Oh, there's also this weird undercurrent of white man's burden, even though his little militia is all white. Like, he's saving them from poverty and... Yeah. Anyway. Uh, then we'll replant in beets for the fall crop. Whatever, Mike said. <laughs> like, what a jerk. What a dickweed. Hey, how's the crop going? Oh, it's going really well. I'm really excited about it. It's going great. Uh, it should be ready. Shut up. I've got harem to screw. Yeah. But I don't care what you have to say. Uh, speaking of which, uh, well, I'm glad you think it's such a great idea since you're going to have a part of the whole thing. Whoa, the former chief snapped. I'm not going to touch Lydia. Much as I like her, it's not Lydia that I'm worried about, Mike said. Uh, he has, he like, by the elders of this tribe or whatever, he is what I can only describe as prima nocta. He has to have sex with one of his soldier's mm. wives before they get married. And he's like, oh, I don't want to do that. And it's like, dude, you have a harem, whatever. But much as I like her, it's not Lydia that I'm worried about, Mike said. Mother Savina, come over here. We've got a ceremony to figure out. All right. Uh, three little triangles to simulate that the scene is changing. Mike had a full schedule for the day. Among other things, he hadn't been keeping up with the progress of the brewery. <laughs> and that's how the whole beer thing is introduced. <laughs> and you're just, brewery, what the hell are you talking about? And so he goes to Vegas for a, a trade show, and it, like I said, it's dumb. Don't get me wrong, it's stupid and awful, but it, it connects to other plots. Like, he takes the advantage of being in the U.S. to talk with the president, which is who is never referred to by name. It's always Mr. President, or the president said, mm. and sorts of things. But I will say that in my notes, it skips from, like, page 99 to 233 without much in between. Because it's, it's just kind of like, it's a bad book, but it's not noteworthily badly written and there's not too many other quotes other than the aforementioned not funny things that just go on for way too long um but there is one part that i thought was like legitimately good writing and made me laugh kind of a little bit and that's he has this like former raf uh fighter pilot as his like private jet pilot right and so this is the third book and whatever and i thought like if you want to know how to write backstory this is not a terrible example one day, he got in a charter that looked to be the usual, flying a rich American bastard around Europe. However, it turned out somewhat differently than he imagined. The first odd note was that the rich American had turned up with just one suitcase and a small backpack instead of the loads of business suits that the pilot had expected. And the destinations had been odd. Small towns in Russia, rather notoriously dangerous towns in Serbia. And instead of the usual, I've got a business meeting tomorrow morning, we'll be taking off at noon, the passenger had required that he and his co-pilot be on, on call all 24 hours a day. And he and had usually turned up in the middle of the night, reeking of cord, cordite, his, his clothes spotted with bloodstains. At one point, he turned up... What, with what was clearly a low-class Roman Russian hooker and carted her around for the rest of the trip. Hardesty tastefully ignored that the fact that she had recent bruises from a beating. Yeah, that's the whole not funny part. 
the various flights had culminated in Paris, where the passenger had advised him to get an airport well away from the City of Light and chose a hotel room that didn't look in that direction. The news the next day that a nuclear weapon had been found in Paris and had been disarmed came as no real surprise. <laughs> that was pretty actually pretty. That good. is pretty good, yeah. <laughs> um, so I feel like I would have liked this book a lot better if it had all been told from the perspective of the pilot. I think everything should be told from the perspective of the pilot. But you know, he, he goes through the. It's. It is also kind of the bat, the first adventure by a not great DM where, it's just okay. You've got a plot. He is trying to solve this thing, and then, the DM really wants every single piece of the adventure to be equally important. Yeah. And it's like, there's something to be said about like, Oh, you're, you're walking through and you have challenges on the way, but you don't, you shouldn't have to roll to see how every conversation goes. And you shouldn't have to like solve the puzzle of how to find the room in the inn or anything Mm -hmm. like that. Like those kinds of problems. And so there's at one time he needs to fly to Vegas to give this Intel and get ready for his beer summit. And it takes like four chapters because he's just arguing with various intelligence agencies about letting him through their country. And you could get to the end and be like, oh, by the way, while we were were flying here, we had so many arguments. And that would be fine. Um, At the end, there's this big old shootout where they're saving the the ladies and uh, blowing a hole in the side of the Balkan sex industry, as one person on Goodreads said. Um... And it just gets the worst case of split plot syndrome, mm. where there's at least like eighteen uh, perspectives going on, and they all Gross. have they all have Eastern European names, and he's like so many soldiers that don't really ever get like it's good that they don't all get backstory, but there's nothing really to, like, distinguishing distinguish them. them. Yeah, yeah you, so you're not really sure like where they are or what they're doing. Keep or, the plot line yeah. straight. Yeah, that and sucks. everybody just starts dying and. There's, like, a lot of shooting going on, and they're blowing the crap out of stuff, but they, they succeed, and they make it out. And then I was really happy that I was getting to the end. Like, I, I wanted to know who had done it and everything, so I guess that's a good sign. It was this, like, unimportant uh, bureaucrat had framed a senator for these crimes or whatever, and the, the senator was also complicit for some reason? Uh, hmm, I don't know why okay. he'd be complicit for being framed, but... um. I was happy that I was getting done, but there's this huge battle at the end, and I'm like, oh, what's the what's the shakeout going to be, you know? And so they they tick off and skips to the epilogue, and he is in Washington, D.C., confronting the senator. And then a like, change of scene, and he's talking to his, like, American government handler, and they're like, everyone's going to be really mad at you. The end. And there's absolutely no traveling back to, like, the valley and missing... X amount of soldiers, like several people died, yeah. and I want to know, like, how is that handled? How did that affect him? How does that affect the people? Are the soldiers like excited that they did it? What happened to the girls? Yeah, because he picks up hookers along the way because he doesn't want to put them back into the sex industry, but can't really let them go free because they have nowhere to go to. And there's absolutely none of that covered, and I think the secret lies in this book. Where the first 77 pages are actually, like, the ending to the previous book. So, it just ends on, like, a little bit of a cliffhanger, and then they resolve it all in the beginning of the next book? That seems kind of like it. Like, the the plot, the mystery has been resolved, but none of the fallout has been discussed. But I feel like that's not a good way to start a book. Like, they like to deal with all the fallout for 100 pages. Yeah, like... And then start something new that we yeah. won't resolve because we'll save that for book five. Yeah, there was no denouement. Den- denouement, Den- I believe. Denouement? Denouement. It's French. Ah. Uh, uh, we should just use words that we know how to pronounce. No. That would be egregious if we did that. Um, this is the only time in my life I've ever said, oh, thank God he's got a gun. Because the, the, like, the fighting and the murdering scenes are like, the good ones like oh nice this is i assume like pretty well written it gets a little well written for an action yeah it gets a little like a i military fetishist you know where it describes the guns in a little bit too much detail but it's basically it's no worse than rainbow six you know yeah clancy but every time he does not have a gun in his hands i just so it was really gross uh it's politically obvious it talks a lot about the liberals are screaming and the main villain, the senator that's framed but is also Complicit a villain, somehow? yeah, is a liberal or a Democrat, and he is 
blocking the president at trying to do this certain thing and um and he's like oh you should be perfect for academia at the end when he's yeah so it's a whole thing um all in all choose this lane gross and awful but not poorly done it's bad it's not not well done yeah it's not midnight sins it's not midnight sins and like i think that you have been you have just been given a very like dunk in a cold shower about what I've been going through this entire time because you were like, "Oh, it's got to be Midnight Sin- or it's got to be Choosers of the Slain." Choosers of the Slain is the worst book. I had such a hard time with Choosers of the Slain. I couldn't. It was like, the first. I one. couldn't get over. You were calibrated. Even now, I wasn't calibrated. I think that I think that is a very real part of it. But I think like I could not get over. You know, you mentioned the like the parts that were not fun. Yeah, I could not, not get over the not fun, not funny parts. Um, There's a lot Midnight of... Midnight Sins was like, like, I had fun discovering how atrocious it was. So, like, I feel like that is, like, it's, like, prime bibliophile material because... Ugh, no. It's insane. No, you, the discussion was, but the reading, it like... You made it really yeah. fun, but the 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 prime bibliovile materials definitely that one you read about the the Seattle and they <laughs> yes. have like six wives or Lor- and... anything by Lori Foster. Oh yeah, the Christmas sex book. My girl Lori. Yeah, it, 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 sex it goes back. This was one of my first thoughts on uh, everything was the mystery science theater line, where it has to be bad enough to be bad. Like it's no fun if it's good. It has to be bad enough to be bad, but it has to be good enough to be tolerable. You know, yeah. like, there's certain Mystery Science Theater things where they're the funniest people in 90s Minnesota, and even they can't make a movie watchable sometimes. Yeah. And so finding that line is especially difficult, and I think Midnight Sense, for me, I just could not get to the right side of that line. It was... It was rough. I feel like... I wish that I could, like, convey the facial expressions that I made because I would oftentimes just, like, make eye contact with Mick. Stare and, me like, down. have my dead eyes on. As if it was be, like, my fault. Everything is terrible. This book sucks. The, the, one of the worst parts. So this weekend, um, one of Mick's brothers and his wife were at a football game, and so we watched their kids. And so the, the youngest was napping and then the older two were watching cloudy with a chance of meatballs in the living room at Mick's parents house and we were sitting at the kitchen table reading these books because we wanted to get them done because they're due back at the library tomorrow and i was reading a particularly egregious sex scene from midnight sins and i couldn't articulate anything that I was thinking because there was a six-year-old and an eight-year-old watching Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs Daddy, what's anal? five feet away from me and so I just looked at Mick and he was reading and so I just kept staring at him until I think he felt the intensity of my gaze and looked up and he was like what just happened what's wrong with you what happened and I want to like, know what and happened? I just mouthed the words the grossest sex scene it was i appreciate i don't know that i could have gotten through this book if i hadn't been able to tell you anything about it yeah because it was it was bad it's sharing it was a very fun experiencing it was very bad imagine you know those like uh uh, if you go to a fortune teller and their doors are made out of beads yep imagine if those beads were just a sheet of like a saran wrap and you try to walk through it, and it just goes... And sticks to your face and suffocates and you. Yeah, and you're trying to walk through it, but it turns out the whole room is made out of jello, and so you've got your face in the saran wrap, and you're trying to walk into jello. That's what reading Midnight Sins feels like. Because you're on page seven, and you're like, this, oh, And then you look at the book, and it's 380 pages. You're like, oh, The room is jello, and the door is saran wrap. It's awful. Yeah. So, I I will agree with you that Midnight Sins was the worst book. Woo! It was the worst book. I agree with that. Um, But I think that means, since I'm the one who found it, that I won. Yeah. Like, I win. Yeah. I I never disagreed with that. I find the worst books. Well, I find the most fun books. Mm. 
Yeah. Maury Foster, the the Christmas yeah, sex that was trilogy. One of three. The Christmas sex trilogy, though, like that was great. Okay, I've got solid gold. I've got in my corner, and since we are at the tenth anniversary, maybe this is a good time. We'll put a, a poll somewhere or something. Oh yeah, we who finds have done. the which is the best book, or who finds the better books? Who finds the better books? Like who gets to read them is a different story. But we've got Derek's Jimmy John's book with the Seattle Demon. Good grief! We've got the uh, the Christian strip club owner uh, in Blood and Silver. We've got the Stone Ice Elemental book, which is a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, the Crimson Veil. The Crimson which was Veil the, like, one. No, that was, you already mentioned that one. Oh. Sorry, that was the Seattle one. Actually, there was one book that you picked for me that, like, it was... it was The Hockey Sex book? I liked the Hockey Sex book. Yeah. It was oh, good. That reminds me, uh, the first time we did this, imagine going back to Uncalibrated... And Susan got cho- Choosers of the Slain, and I got probably my easiest and actually enjoyable one with How to Marry a Duke, which oh, is Oh, yeah, like, you liked that yeah, one. I yeah, was like, I was into it. You were into it, yeah. yeah it was like constructive romantic. Oh, couples. another one that you picked for me, so now I'm kind of kind of conceding that you were better at this than I am. Woo! Another one that you picked for me that I really liked was um, Sonnet. To, to a, a dead, dead contessa. contessa. The Jesus mystery. The Jesus mystery love story book that was set in the 1800s. Yeah, I will give you the Christmas tr- sex trilogy. That was solid gold. That was pretty great. Um, I think the... I think I get madder at books than you do, because I... Yeah. The one, Lessons for Bombshell or whatever. Oh, yeah. That one made me mad, but was probably fun to talk about. You did okay with your um your food mysteries. The food mystery was easy. I only yeah. had one. You keep confusing me for Meg. Oh yeah, which is understandable. Yeah, you're pretty much the same. So, sorry, Meg. You say that. Um. Yeah, that's it. And then you got me Ann Coulter. Okay, I thought that was gonna be a lot more fun than it wound up being. The Trump book. No, you. Oh, I got you the Trump book. You're right. I got you Obama's America. Ugh. Which ended up netting a... Uh... Oh, no. No, that was the day of the Christmas sex book. The night of the werewolf one, which is yeah, some Yeah, it was just kind of boring. Yeah. Like, looking back in retrospect, these are fun plots, but it, the execution wasn't quite as fun. Yeah. Yeah. So, I feel like now that we've been through 10 episodes, Nick, we can... Recalibrate. Ref- we can recalibrate. We can refine our search mechanisms. Mm. We can move forward into new territory. Yep, and uh, and find books even worse, but a lot more fun. Yes. Um, I will let you know what book you are getting already. I'm not like a. Uh, oh shit! I've already picked it out. I have a picture on my phone. Uh, so if you are excited enough to try and read along with Susan, it's a book. I forget who the author is. Because it's covered up by the barcode on top on the front cover. It's a book called "Dead Girls Are Easy." Oh no! And the tagline is, "It's the live ones that cause trouble." Oh no! Yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. Um, my two ideas for you right now. I feel like I should re- reveal them. Um, you are either going to be reading, uh, the biography of a former bachelorette, or that would be a good title for a book. Or, Quote, unquote, the biography of a former bachelorette. One of the Twilight Saga. <laughs> well, they, the, the listeners have already known about the Twilight Saga. We wouldn't be introducing them to anything. Mm-hmm. We'd be introducing them to your thoughts on it. It stinks. We'll see. We'll see how says. the journey to the Iowa City Public Library goes tomorrow. Okay. Well, that should do us for the 10th uh, episode of Biblioval. Uh, happy I, anniversary. Happy anniversary. We handshook because that's what married people do on their 10th episode. Look yeah. it up. It's in Emily Post. Uh, and we are Emily Post this episode. So uh, in the meantime, before next Thursday, or next next Thursday, because we are adopting a regular re- uh, release schedule. I don't know if you noticed that. We will be opposite the Adventure Zone by the McElroy Brothers. I noticed that when it came out this last week. So it'll always remind me, oops, got to get to reading. Uh, we release every other Thursday on iTunes and SoundCloud. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a review because then maybe somebody is like, I want to listen to a podcast about Bibleville. 
and then they accidentally pop that in uh, Bibliovile, and then they say, oops, uh, wait a minute, this is actually really good. So let's hope that happens. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter. My username is actdickyma, D-I-C-K-I-M-A-A. It is a randomly assigned university email that I really loved. Uh, I'm hilarious. And you can find me at Susan J. That's S three U's S A N J. Um, the blog posts that accompany this episode and all of our other episodes can be found on Mick's blog, which is opinionsinother.blogspot.com. Thanks for listening, and thank you to um, the band Elixir. Their single Babe of the Night off of the album Rampant is the intro of our program. I don't believe it is their single. It is just a song. A song called Babe of the Night. So thank you to that band we did not ask permission from and heard on NPR one night. We will see you next, next Thursday. I love you very much. Have a good night. Good night. Farts. <laughs>